0: Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Okay, Uh, we're going to get into the next session uh, this morning. And in the first session last night, I introduced the person of Archippus to you, and I hope that you are more familiar with this name by now. Um, In the second session earlier this morning that we covered, and I took a little bit longer than I intended, it's really to let you understand the context and the perspective. Uh, if you are awakened, but you don't understand the times that we live in, it's very easy to be distracted once more and to be drawn back into whatever uh, will pull you back in. and just, It just sucks you in. It can be sometimes, uh, un- understandably also, even churchy things can pull us away and even pull us down. And again, I do not mean that it is bad to be involved in a certain activity, but we really want to know what the assignment is all about. Not everything may be done in a church context. Many things will be done as the church of Jesus Christ, where He puts us in different places. Now, the third session, I want to introduce our keepers at a different level. And I want you to turn on your prophetic ears if it's not already on. Um, There's something that's within here that I discovered again and you know god does this right he gives you something that's foundational that you are able to build on then you layer it and then you layer it and it starts to present a different picture for you and it gives you even more significance and meaning so the title of this is what's in the name and the subtitle is enough horsing around and i hope that you'll become clear in a while let's just say a quick prayer lord i thank you lord We glorify you. Everything that's spoken here must give you praise. I thank you for the life of Si and even others like her, Lord, that they've begun to see how important it is. Assignments, whether they are big, they are small, in the front or behind, it makes no difference because in the end, kingdom influence can be declared anywhere and shown everywhere, Lord. And so even as we continue in our teaching and our learning, will you lead us and will you teach us and will you guide us? Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What's in the name? There's a lot that can be in the name. And I, Serena and myself, my wife and myself, have had the privilege of naming seven children. And each time uh, the Lord has blessed us with one, we've had to struggle with uh, how do we name this boy or this girl as, long as, as, as soon as we uh, found out the gender of this baby. And it's not true that we would want to choose good names, right? We want to choose strong names. As a Chinese, if you understand, sometimes even the Chinese character, the number of strokes uh, makes a lot of difference. The the more strokes you have, the more solid that character would be, and it would be meaningful for that. And we only want to uh, choose good names and biblical names. And I know there are many parents in our midst, and you probably would have gone through that also. Biblical examples, plenty. Um, Abraham was called the father. It means the father is exalted. Good name, but God changes it to Abraham, which then means the father of a multitude. And even in that prophetic switch of a name, it contained an assignment that was within this name. Um, Noah, if you know this person, I'm sure, his name just means comfort or rest. And it was so because in the time of his generation, he will bring rest to the people that God will save through him and also through the ark that he would build. There are some other names that don't sound really good. Uh, there's a name called Jabez. Have you heard of this name? There was a time where this name became very, very popular, and it was called the Prayer of Jabez, and everyone likes the part that says, enlarge uh, the, the hands of my territory or something like that. Will you, Lord, will you just bless me? And everyone was saying, uh, I suppose he would ask of that because he had a terrible name. And Jabez just means pain, All right, now can you imagine if you declare it prophetically over your son? You are Jabez. You are a pain. And all his life, you know, he'll be hearing, I'm a pain, I'm a pain, I'm a pain. Okay, go Elijah House for ministry if you (laughs) you need that. Jacob had an interesting name, right? His name just means to he who takes by the heel or he who attacks by behind. And it's not a good name, but later he was renamed Israel. And he who has striven with God and has prevailed. See, God has always used names in a very powerful way, in a very prophetic way. And in some names, there's a prophetic message that's hidden in it. If you um, remember Isaiah, he had his children. Uh, God says, name your children this way. And one was called Shia Jeshub. And it was a good name. It just, says, it just means the, a remnant shall return. So every time he would call that name, he was prophetically he was prophetic, declaring into the nation that whatever might happen, a remnant shall return. Now that was okay, but he had another child and the name was Mahesh Shalal Heshbest. Do you know this one? Mahesh Shalal Heshbest. What a long name. Can you imagine you have to scold this child? Mahesh Shalal would you just come there right now? I have difficulty just, you know, when you're in a, in a, in a fit of uh, impatience, you call the names wrongly. And I've called many of our children's names wrongly. I have to remember this one. What's, what's your name? You, 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 you. It just means swift to plunder and quick to spoil. God was using this child to declare a prophetic message to his people to say, you know, the enemy is going to do a quick work of you. When you come, they're just going to wipe you out so quickly, you won't even know what hit you. If you think those names are terrible, you don't want to be Hosea's children. One was named Lo-Ruhama, and this just meant no mercy. Oh, I don't want to name no mercy. Dad, I'm sorry. No mercy. Lord, I, Dad, Dad I, I, Mom, I, I, I sort of uh, uh, broke your favorite uh, uh, crockery. No mercy. You don't want to be that child that, you know, has a name called No Mercy, and yet God was telling His people prophetically, there will come a time where there will be no mercy shown to you. You are another child, Lo Ami, you are no longer going to be my people. Later 1 Peter would take these two names and then turn it around to say, you are a chosen generation, you are a royal priesthood. A people did not know the mercy of God, but today we have discovered His mercy. A people who were not once God's people, but today in Jesus Christ, we are God's people. You see, names are prophetic. I could go on. But a name that is above all names, Jesus, Jesus mentioned. And even in Hebrew, His name is Yeshua, means the Lord is our salvation. Even within His name is contained His assignment. How important is that? How cool is that? Emmanuel, God with us. And all this, just to share with you, there's something that's important in the biblical name. Not every name has got a significance, and that really piqued my interest because I knew, I started to learn about Archippus, I started to learn about who this guy was, almost nameless and yet mentioned by name, I started to wonder, Lord, could there be a meaning in this name of Archippus? What does Archippus mean? I'm not going to read too much into it, but Lord, can I study a little bit? And if there's something there, will you just show me? Archibus, not a Hebrew name, it's a Greek name, and it is made up of two words, and the first word is archos, and the second word I will share with you later, archos means chief or principal or master, so you are familiar with this word called the architect, it just means an archos tecton, a builder, a master builder is an architect, So archos means chief. The second word is hippos. I know you're thinking hippopotamus. No, 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 no. Hippopotamus is made up of another two words, and one is hippos and potamus, which means a river horse. And so hippos actually means a horse. So if you put the two words together, archipos has a meaning that is the master of horses. He's the one who will look up the stables. He's the one who will take care of the horses. Archippus has something to do with horses. And then this is like a CSI movie now. So I've got one piece of the clue. I say, okay, Lord, uh, horses. Okay, names, prophetic significance. Biblical names, there's a meaning. And then suddenly I realized that the biblical imagery of horses, could there be something there? Then I say, okay, Lord, let's, let's study a little bit of horses and see is there something here that you can teach us And something that we can receive if we say, I'm in our keepers, what does it mean to be a master of horses, or what does it mean where the horses are concerned? So, if you join me, I'm going to share a little bit of background with you of the biblical significance now of horses. The very first mention of horses is found in Genesis chapter 47 and verse 17, where Joseph is recorded in the time of Egypt in that famine. Remember, he was the prime minister. And he was doing a really good job. He started to trade food in exchange of horses. And I believe that was how he began to build the stables for Pharaoh in that time. But that wouldn't be the earliest record, although it would be the first mention in the Bible in Genesis. If you believe that Job was a contemporary in the time of Abraham, then the earliest record will be found in the book of Job, chapter 39, verses 19 to 25, and here, you know, uh, Job is like asking God uh, many, many questions, and God does not answer his questions in a very simple way. God, in fact, answers him with so many other questions to say, Were you there? You know, do you know this? Can you do this? Do you understand this? And poetically, he begins to talk about the horse. And here we see in verse 19, let me read this to you. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Listen to this. Have you given the horse strength? Have you clothed his neck with thunder? Can you frighten him like a locust? His majestic snorting strikes terror. He pours in the valley and rejoices in his strength. He gallops into the clash of arms. He mocks at fear and is not frightened, nor does he turn back from the sword. The quiver rattles against him, the glittering spear and javelin. He devours the distance with fierceness and rage, nor does he come to a halt because the trumpet has uh, sounded. At the blast of the trumpet, he says, aha, aha. He smells the battle from afar, the thunder of captains and shouting. What a beautiful picture. It's a picture of strength. It's a picture of might. And in the Bible, as you study the biblical significance of horses, it became a symbol in those days of military might. And a nation that possesses a great number of these animals, they are greatly feared. That's why in the Bible, you keep hearing this phrase. Oh, they have horses and chariots. They have horses and they are chariots. Oh, dear. It was a symbol of military might as like today. How many nuclear warheads do you have? How many nuclear bombs do you have? And if you possess nuclear capacity and capability, oh, dear, should we come to the table and negotiate so that we can denuclearize you? In those days, if you had horses and you had chariots, it was a symbol of military strength. Just think back to Israel versus uh, Egypt in those days. When Israel was delivered, Pharaoh gave chase, and he pushed out the horses and the chariots, and God defeats them and buries them in the Red Sea. And later in constituting for a, a people for himself, he actually gave very, very strict and specific instructions. He says, you will not trust in horses and chariots, You will not multiply these again. You will not go back to Egypt to try to accumulate for yourself horses and chariots because your trust will be in me and me alone. Your salvation and your deliverance will be dependent upon who I am and not on the horses that you will have. Even in the wilderness, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, he prophetically points forward, he says, "'The king shall not multiply horses for himself.'" You will not going to have all these kind of stuff. You will not return that way again. Now, Israel was so precise in this that at the time of Joshua, in the book of Joshua, when they finally went into the land and they conquered the people, it's recorded in Joshua chapter 11, verses 6 and 9. This is what Joshua did. He hamstrung all the horses. He went to the horses who are all battle stations and battle steeds and he goes there, he cuts off the muscles He hamstrings the muscles. And you know, if you start to cut a muscle, it begins to heal back. It's no longer as strong as previously. These become domesticated. They can pull carts and they can pull, you know, certain trolleys and so on. But to go into battle, you need a different kind of horse. And Joshua was so clear. He says, we're not going to have those horses. If you're going to keep them, we're not going to trust these to protect us from the enemy. We're going to trust in God. What a beautiful picture of horses, amen? And yet sometimes in the, as we look at this, we can come away with a wrong impression and we think, "Oh dear, you know God says, don't trust in horses. Don't trust in chariots." So, "Oh horses are bad." I said, "Well no, not really. Horses are, are God's creation. It depends how you use them. Let me give you four quick lessons before I, I push you into a, a time of a prophetic timeline where you can journey together with me. Let's learn about horses. Are horses bad? Not really. The issue is never about the number of horses. The issue is always about reliance and trust. The issue is never about the things that you hold on to or the things that you have. The question is, are you trusting in the things you have or are you trusting in the one who gave you these things? You see, by the time it came to David, the great king of Israel, it was recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 8, that David... Took and defeated this king Hadadzer, and he took from him one thousand chariots, seven hundred horsemen, twenty thousand foot soldiers. Also, David hemstrung all the chariot horses. Now, if, if David had confiscated one thousand horses, how many chariots horses do you think they would have? At least one thousand. If not two thousand, right? Because of you can one horse can pull a chariot, or two horses can even do that. Except that he spared enough for them for one hundred chariots. Think about this for a while. Look at the numbers. Let's just take one thousand horses. He spares 10 percent. He hamstring's nine hundred. As I read this, one question came to mind: Lord, David's disobedient. He should have hamstrung all the horses. Can you say amen? What is this guy? I mean, this is a man after your own heart. 10% he keeps for himself. Oh, naughty, naughty. And how come you didn't take him to task? Because Saul, who was the king before him, was supposed to kill every one of the Amalekites, and he comes back, he spares Agar. and then we have that famous line, Samuel comes to him and says, you've been disobedient. He says, no, 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 no. I only saved the best to, to, to give to the Lord. And he says, God says, everything. And everything means Everything. To obey is better than to sacrifice. Everyone knows that. Oh, you were so harsh with Saul. He kept one king and the best of the animals, and you took him to task, and you lost that kingdom, and it was given over to David. And now David keeps 100 horses, and you did not even scold him, or did not even scold him. And the Lord spoke within my heart and gave me a different picture. He says, son, the horses in of themselves are not bad. It's not the horses that are the issue. It's where you put your trust in. And David was able to look at these. And I realized that in that instant, David, as a man after God's own heart, I believe he could have one million, two million horses. It would have been okay because he always put his trust in the Lord. See, it's not about what we have. It's about who we trust Horses in of themselves are not bad, just like money in of themselves are not bad. They are immoral. But when we begin to trust in the money that we have and not trust in God anymore, when money becomes our God, we worship mammon. But if you can handle money well, God can give you enough for the kingdom assignments that you need to fund. It's never the issue about horses. That's why he says, don't trust in the horses, but trust in me. And if you can have more horses, I'll give it to you as long as your heart will always be with me. You see, David was never rebuked for just keeping that 100 horses. But after that, do you realize what happened at the end? The Bible says that God incited David to number his troops. In another version, it says Satan was allowed to tempt David to count his troops. And David did that, and the judgment came upon him. I said, oh, you read the Bible, sometimes you think, oh, God's not fair, isn't it? You ask me to do it, I do it, and then you take me to task. But understanding the number of horses and the issue of reliance and trust helped me to understand this really well. I believe it revealed a certain thing that shifted in his heart. He began to number his troops, and I believe pride began to come in. Friends, it's never about the numbers in our ministry. And today, I've I've learned that in a very, very hard way because as as the Lord said, come out, don't be a pastor anymore. You know, don't be this, don't be that. I have no congregation. I have no one to count. I have no no one to number. As quickly as they come to listen to a message, as quickly they go home, I'm all alone. How well are you doing, Hanson? I don't know. How many people do you have? I don't know. Thanks, Yuhun and Leiling and my dad and mom for coming with me. (laughs) What's the size of your church? I don't have. Where's your office? In my bedroom. What do you work off? My little desk. And God is saying, stop looking at the numbers. That's not a kingdom success indicator. A kingdom success indicator is faithfulness. And so the Lord says, if you speak to one of keepers, you make sure this guy wakes up. If you speak to a thousand, if I ever give you five thousand to declare, God, your heart is not the number of horses that you see. It's a number of horses that will be awakened, aligned, and assigned for Jesus. <laughs> it's always about reliance. And it's also about trust. As I learned about this, the Spirit spoke something else again. He says, you know, Joshua hamstrung the enemy's horses. David hamstrung the enemy's horses. The church, sadly, has hamstrung our own horses which we should be, if they are symbols of power, that means what the world regards as power, what their world systems and world efficiency things, world mechanics that we can learn from, and I think we have benefited a lot from them, but those are not your indicators. When they come in, hamstring it, use it for the glory of the kingdom. But instead of hamstringing the enemy's horses so that they do not overtake us in our understanding of power and symbol and status, instead of hamstringing the enemy's horses, we have hamstrung our own. And so they are not battle ready anymore. They can do the little things that we, we would like them to do. And we do the domestic thing. We are domesticated. When it comes to our battle, we don't know what to do. Every church becomes, you know, a, a, like a business or an, or an industry or an organization where bigger is better, and we market the church as we would a product or a brand, or if we made worship into a performance, all these are early indicators, and in God saying, don't make this like that. We have allowed the horses to invade our system and permeate our church stables, and we see them as good and we parade these together on auspicious occasions, and everything sounds really nice, looks really good. The question is, if you go deeper, are we okay? Then the picture of Solomon after David. This guy had horses, I can tell you. Man, the Bible says he had cities of chariots. Cities! Cities! He had to earmark cities to house the cavalry and the chariots. That's how big it is. And that's how many horses he had. And at the height of Solomon, it was like the golden age of Israel. I believe it would be like a national day or a parade. Man, the horses will be there. Right? Uh, And then it was like, salute. And it looks really good. He said, wow, look, God is with us. But do you know, it only, that, that, that piece of, of, of parading only was a veneer that covered the cracks that was already within the kingdom. And then when Solomon died, the two sons fought and the kingdom split into two. You see, it's not the number of horses you have, it's not how well you parade them. The question is, what's happening underneath that? The Lord says, we have hamstrung our own. Man, we can do that, it's nice. But really, when the battle comes, do we know what to do? Thirdly, in the final days, you you see that horses have always been used as God's prophetic messengers. You look at the book of Zechariah, even the book of uh, Revelations, you know that the four colored horses and so on, they are prophetic messengers that are being sent out. And if our keeper's awakening is a last day message, an 11th hour message, that's where we are right now, And if we're all our keepers raised up to be horses for the Lord, will we be declared and will we be ready to declare a prophetic message of this end time? Will we carry this out as far as we can? If you know the Wesleyan tradition, Wesley preached on horseback, right? He was always moving on and he was a a circuit rider. In fact, there's a ministry called Circuit Riders nowadays. But they don't stay in one spot. They go wherever God leads them and they will use these horses to carry them and to bring them to where their assignments are. If you want to talk about the last days, of course, the most glorious horse that you can find will be the white horse that Christ will come back on. And when Jesus comes back on a white horse, well, the promise says that his saints will be coming back with him, and they're all on horses. Whoo! They're all on horses. I started to get excited. I say, oh, Lord, i Akipus. keep us, I'll keep us. We had horses, oh Lord, you know. We want to be with Christ. You can ride on me. And when we talk about the coming of the Lord in the white horse, of course, we say yes, yes, that's the second coming. In the first coming, you remember, he came in and he rode on a donkey. And so we, we want to be donkeys. We want to be lowly. We want to humble. We want to be humble. We want to be obedient. And there's nothing wrong with that. I still agree with that. And I'll be a donkey for Jesus. I'll hee-haw for Jesus if He wants. <laughs> I'll share with you a little bit of Singlish, you know, because in 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 Singlish we have this hee-haw, yeah. And so we were, in church. There are a lot of donkeys. We go hee-haw, hee-haw. They go to pastor. Well, shee-haw, hee haw I said not that kind of donkeys, but I will hee-haw for Jesus if He wants me to hee-haw. But I believe we are coming, as we are coming closer, we are moving further away from the first coming, I think there's this metamorphosis The donkeys are shifting into battle stations. We need the war machines. We need the war machines. Man, be lowly. Be be untied from the post for Jesus. Let Him ride on you. But He's coming as the King of kings. He's coming as the Lord of lords. And He needs His battle steeds to be ready for Him. I'm going to show you a video next, and before we screen this, as I studied about the master of horses, again certain images will come back to me, and the very first thing I remember was as a little boy, 13 years old, with my parents, we we toured uh, Europe, and there's this place in Vienna, okay, where there's this. Horse performance, and I want you to see this just for about one minute, and I'll come back and I'll explain to you the significance I I searched on YouTube for it. I found this and I wanted to, to share this with you. Can we roll the video? please? Alabaster horses Legendary white stallions that for 450 years have turned what was once a weapon of war Into a living work of art It's man and horse in perfectly choreographed harmony. These elegant, intelligent horses are the Lipizzanas of the Spanish Riding School of Vienna. And they've been keeping audiences in thrall for centuries. This is the Spanish Riding School of Vienna. And this breed of horses, they're called the Lipizanas. And it's a very precious breed, um, and they're actually war horses. Every move that you see there in this show that they put up in Vienna, they are choreographed, they're battle moves. And the idea of these horses standing up all uh, on the, on the hind legs and, you know, with the front legs up there so that the commander, when he sits on this horse, he will be able to have a vantage view and to be able to command the battle and move. And the way they are moving, they're all battle moves, although it looks like a choreographed show at this point in time. These are the Lipizanus, and they are war horses. The funny thing is this, as I did a little more, a bit more research, I found that, that the... In World War I, these horses were so precious and because of the battle that was being fought out there, they kept these horses in safekeeping. They were so afraid that if anything should happen to them, they won't have any show anymore. That was World War I. World War II, they did exactly the same thing. They had the horses and they kept them. And while the battle was going on, these war horses were kept one side because they were needed for a show. As I watched this, the Spirit asked me a very simple question. So, my son, are you a show horse or are you a war horse? I heard that and my heart just broke. And I knew exactly what the Lord was saying because, hey, if you want to put up a show, I, can, I know how to put in a show. <laughs> you want to choreograph a church service, man, I can do that. You want to do an event that's efficient, talk to a Singaporean. We're known for that. We're known for efficiency, you know. We'll plan everything to the T. We'll cure it. We'll have a smoke machine come in and we know when the anointing is going to fall. <laughs> Man, if you want to do a show, we can do a show. The question is, we are, we're not here to be a show horse. We are here to be war horses. And the church you know, we, we learn about spiritual battle. We, we learn about uh, uh, spiritual fighting and all that. And we talk about being fellow soldiers. We talk about the authority and the power that we have. And the moment something happens, we call the professional soldier. Pastor, come and help me. Oh, well, they're there to serve us. They're there to teach us. They're there to help us. But hey, if we're all fellow soldiers and we have the name of Jesus Christ, do we know how to fight the battle? We should be sent out into different places to save people in Jesus Christ. We should be casting out demons. We should be speaking into prophetic situations so that the kingdom of God can manifest for the glory of Jesus. Are we show horses or are we war horses? That pierced my heart that day. I recorded in chapter four, enough horsing around. I said, look, if our keepers are to be horses, let's stop playing games. Let's, Let's not just put up a good show. People all over the world, when they go to Vienna, they will watch this show. The funny thing is when people come to Singapore, they will want to go to a big mega church and see how that church runs. We're not showpieces; We are war horses. For the rest of this time, I'm going to invite you onto God's prophetic timeline. The Lord would speak to me after that and show me a few things that would help affirm me and anchor me in this message of our Keeper's Awakening. So what I'm sharing with you is something that's very personal for me. But if it speaks to you, you can borrow it and you can even own it for yourself. But I'm showing you that when God calls you upon an assignment, He does not leave you alone. He will direct you, He will guide you as your heart is willing to be aligned with Him. So at the turn of 2013 to 2014, as I made this discovery of the name of Archippus, Another image came to my mind after this picture of the Lipizannas. And this picture, this is a plug that my dad gave to me on the 3rd of January 2014. This is where I discovered this. But this was a plug that my dad gave to me when I turned 30 years old. That would have been like 19 years ago then. And 2014 would be the year I turned 50, so almost 20 years ago. Um, At that point in time, as a young man, I was just thankful. As I turned 30, he gave me this plug. It didn't have any big significance upon me. And as I I shifted house, got married, I, I wrapped it, and I kept it in the storeroom. That night, I was so excited, this thing came back to me. I opened up this plug once more because I know those four characters. Let me read it to you. I can impress you because I'm the only Chinese, a few Chinese here. I don't speak Chinese very well. Well, those four characters actually says, Ma tao. Gong Chen. Are you ready for a Chinese lesson? Everyone say Ma, Ma dao, dao Gong, gong chen. chen. Together, Ma tao. Gong Chen. Let me explain to you. Ma just means horse. "Tao" means to arrive. Gong means the work or the mission or the assignment. Chen means to be successful, to complete it. Oh man, I, I was like, I was rummaging through my story and I said, where is it? Yeah, where is it? You know, uh, I hope I didn't lose it. And I opened it up and I saw Matao in, Dao in a Chinese idiom. It just means to be successful in the mission. But in that time of prophetic understanding, it was, man, move your assignment. It ain't over till it's over. The horse runs until it meets the destination and you fulfill your assignment. And then I realized another timing that the Lord had just orchestrated without even our understanding, and I just marveled at His grace and His prevenient grace if if you are a Methodist. I had just come back to the Lord when I was 30 years old. I was backslidden for 10 years. The present that my dad gave to me, I'm not even sure he understood the significance, but there it was hidden, an assignment that was there waiting to be discovered. And it will take a time of alignment and different experiences that you will walk and be obedient. And slowly, God shifts you into that destiny you're talking about. Friends, if you are still waiting for your assignment, it's okay. It's only about 20 years you have to wait. Some of you might, you know, it may come faster to some of you and it's okay. The question is, are you faithful in the small things so that God can move you into the larger things? That was in January 2014, and I was like, "Oh yes, Lord, you no, know, this is like going to be our battle cry now, and you will see uh, our little horses down here." You know, every time we'll be joking with each other, uh, calling each other horse. In February, and this is crazy, we celebrate the Chinese Lunar New Year, and Mark and Terry would have some experience dining uh, in the feasting in the Chinese New Year. And that year was the, if you know the Chinese horoscope, it was the year of the horse. The year of the horse. And I I don't go into Chinese horoscopes to look for anything, but like I said, and I explain to people, I don't want to stumble them, I don't look at horoscopes at all. All I'm saying is that God can use something secular to lead you into the things of His kingdom. He can use anything, amen? And we don't have to get all spiritual and spooky about it. But that year for me, it was for me. It was the year of a horse. And I came into an understanding. One month later, we entered into Chinese New Year. It was the year of a horse. And all the red packets, oh man, we love the red packets. On every red packet that I received was the four words, Ma Tao Gong Chen. And it was like God shouting at me, fulfill your assignment. Fulfill your assignment. Fulfill your assignment. Fulfill your assignment. I hear you, Lord, I hear you, Lord. And I keep us awakening, at least from a Chinese, and it only means something to me, was birth in the year of the horse. The master of horses. One year later in August 2015, Singapore celebrated I I turned 50 in 2014, and somehow I realized last night I shared with you, right? Although it's about personal assignments, it's about a national destiny. So on 20, in August 2015, the 9th of August, that's our national day, and Singapore turned our jubilee, 50 years old, as an island state country, uh, having achieving its own independence and being blessed of the Lord in so many beautiful ways. On that morning, one of our keepers uh, sent this article to me, so excited, he said, Pastor, can you read this? A little baby horse was born to our polo club. And the thing was, this horse was not due to come out. There was no inducement, nothing at all. By itself, it came out. And the time that it was born, I think it was somewhere, um, yeah, I I didn't put it down here. It's about 4.30 in the morning. It would have really freaked me out if it was 4.17 in the morning. Do you remember Colossians 4.17? Right? But it was just 4.30, it's fine. So I think God didn't want me to make a monument of that. And they were trying, at that point in time, they were thinking, what name should it be? I know the name, it's called Keepers. And the Lord used this to confirm for me. and said, son, you are birthing something out here, and it's not just for you. It's not for the church. It's for the nation of Singapore. In September 2015, we had a homecoming where um, we organized all the denominations. coming come in just to return to the Father and just to pray. And this movement is going all around Asia. And we thought it was good that the organizers thought it would be good to do it in our 50th year of our nation. The interesting thing is that prior to that, when they were praying for Singapore earlier in Hong Kong, Hong Kong also had a gathering like that, and they were, they were just praying, and a Singapore contingent was there. This was the word that was released to the pastor that uh, was representing Singapore. Singapore is a strong horse. And God wants this horse to be broken and to be tamed for his use. Friends, I can't generate these things. This is what I'm trying to say. You know, all I'm doing is flowing with God's prophetic timeline. He's doing something in the nation, and he's raising people. Whoever will be willing to participate with him, we can say, yes, Lord, and you will bring us there. On the second night of this gathering, this Malaysian contingent flew into Singapore And they felt that they wanted to give Singapore a gift. And they were praying about it. And this was the image they got. They presented the leaders of the Singapore church a statue of a horse. And they called it, it's not this picture yet, yeah, Singma. Okay, Singapore, Malaysia. And they presented the statue of the horse to our Singapore contingent or Singapore church. And that really affirmed for me that this message is something the Lord wants us to carry, and it gave me boldness to declare it without any compromise. Around the same time in November 2015, a sister read a book, that, uh, this book that I, I had published, and at the conference she met with me and she said, I need to talk to you. I said, okay, we fixed the coffee. The next week we got together. The moment I sat down, she looked at me and she said, tell me about Archibald's Awakening. And I'm like, okay, what's this all about? I don't even know you. You asked for coffee. I'm here sitting here with you for coffee. He says, no, 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 no. I read your book. And I read chapter four. And I read about horses. I want to know what our keeper's awakening is about. As I shared this with her, she said, let me explain this to you. About two years ago, two years ago, that's 2015, right? That will be 2013. About the same time the Lord gave me the message of our keeper's awakening, the Lord began to give her pictures of horses. And then she goes to a prophetic painter and these painters will not ask you what to paint. They'll pray and they'll seek the Lord. And she goes back a week or two later and they found that this painter had painted horses for her. And somehow for me, it was like a prophetic thing again to say, okay, Lord, I hear what you're saying. Suddenly horses are galloping all over the place. And you're asking us, you know, are we awakening these horses? It was November in, 20, in December 2015, and this is a comic relief for us. Anyone love Star Wars? The show The Force Awakens came out. And Sandra Boynton, which is a children's comic uh, book writer, has a little, uh, did a little spin about it. She has a series called The Bunyard, where there are little animals, very cute little animals who will read these stories to our little children when they were much younger. And there's a picture, of caricature of this horse, and she calls it The Bunyard, The Horse Awakens. I'm not saying this is of the Lord, but it's fun, right? And God can have a sense of humor. About the same time, someone reads this book, and it was bought for him uh, by his uh, fiance. He was undergoing a little bit of a challenge, didn't know where to go. He was in the transition point. And the, the wife, the fiance, now his wife, buys him this book, Say to our Keepers. And he was like, What funny book is this? Who is, what is Akipas? And you know what made him read? He was an architect. So, Archipus, architect, and he was just happy to, to just pick it up I and mean, said, so, okay, let's see what this Archipus. And he read through the book, I think it's like, it, it was in a record time. And then he wrote a long email to me and he said, now, Pastor, thank you for this book. I now understand what this vision of, has, has been given to me by the Lord, what it means. And he sent me this picture of a hand that is holding a chess piece. And look at what piece the, the, the hand is holding it is a horse, it is the knight. And he says, Let, Lord, I, he knows that I, I'm that horse now. And man, I was so excited because he doesn't get visions. He doesn't normally get these things. And, and he was faithful just to draw it out. And he sends this over to me. And I knew in my heart, I just knew and I just knew that the Lord is repositioning his people in this time. And if you're going through a transition and you're not making sure, you're not sure where the Lord is shifting you to, can I say, just trust him. You're in a good place, man. You know, if you were just aligned with him, he's shifting. Can you see these? A chess is a is a battle game. It's a strategic game. He's moving his pieces, and symbolically, he's a horse. But man, I'm happy to be a pawn for Jesus. One year later, in September 26, of course, I was speaking at the National Prophecy Conference. Again, this pastor read this book and he says, we're doing a national prophecy conference, but you know, we don't want just to be just all this prophetic thing and everyone goes, amen. After that, we want to know what we need to be doing and we need our Keeper's Awakening to come in. I go into the meeting and the conference and one of the icons that they have is a white horse because they're saying we are in the end of age and we have to be ready for the coming of Jesus. Rather, about the same, uh, after that, uh, a few months later, I was... Uh, waiting for a group of pastors to have lunch, and I happened to meet some, a lecturer in a Bible school. And so I was trying to explain our keeper's awakening to him in a very short time that I have with him, and I think he caught it almost immediately. And he asked me, have you read this book? Have you seen this book called Unleashing the Church? Unleashing the Church. And I said, um, No. And he asked the librarian, he says, can you go pick this book out, see whether we have this book in the library? And within a minute this guy comes, puts this book on my, in my hands, I nearly fell off my chair. And this was published in 1982, and even back then, you have this title, Releasing the Churches, Releasing the Saints Out There, and it would be A Picture of Horses. And today, we are challenging pastors and leaders to tell them, will you discern? There's a one thing to raise sheep is another to raise horses. Sheep are happy to stay and just to graze and they don't move very far. But horses need the space to run and need to be released, amen? See, God is doing a new thing. And I believe even as I, as I share this about Singapore, I pray that you would catch this in your hearts, You've got a lot more space to run than we have in Singapore. We, the horses go out there, we probably get run down by a car. But will you unleash the church? Will you release the, the battle horse? Or will you train them up? Will you not hamstring them anymore? Will you allow them not just to do a domesticated thing within the walls of the church, but to train them for battle that will be out there? And so today, really, we call the alignment the training of horses. We want to raise up these horses so that they can run for Jesus. Wherever they go. And it's okay. Some can be domesticated. Fine. They can do the home thing. They can do the house thing. But some will be running for Jesus. And we've got to send them out. And so alignment is about training of horses. Therefore, the assignment is about running the race. I want to close with this picture. Because when the image of horses started to just flood my mind, first it was the horses in Vienna, next it was this plug about uh, 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 fulfilling your assignment. And I was so excited after that. Because at that point of discovery, I, I had come to that time of uh, the notice period of my resignation. And if you understand, I wasn't able to say anything to the members of my church that I would be leaving. I was, there it was this embargo on that news And the senior pastor had to have that honor and the privilege of announcing so that it will not be misread in any wrong way. But at that point in time, I had so much download from the Lord, I was like, man, I I need to get out, I need to say this, and I can't say anything. So I was like one of those horses behind the cage, waiting for the race to start. And I was pawing on the ground, I was rattling the gate. It was like, let me out. And it would be just two days later on the 5th of January, on that very first Sunday, that my pastor then pulled me up and told the church, and he says, well, Hanson has received a new assignment from the Lord. We're going to release him. Oh, yes. And that morning, the gates flung wide, and this crazy horse has been running. And I ran where he sends me to, and I'm in Guam today. Along the way, we've got other race horses and all. And funnily, again, last year, I'll show you some articles here. Again, my team will see these horse pictures and they'll send over to me. And please, let me make a disclaimer down here. Please don't bet on horse races. (laughs) I'm not into horse racing, punting, okay? Say amen. Amen. Very good. Yeah, I said it, Pastor. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There was this horse in the Hong Kong race, and his name is called Archippus. And after three years of us just plowing, just sowing, just plowing, and sowing, this newspaper article comes out, Archippus Ends Drought. The next thing we read is that he gets into the next uh, race, and we realize that, hey, Archippus is now ready for group three success. I think God is positioning his horse, and then one article came back, and it says, Archippus is worth the wait. Friends, I want to tell you that the assignment the Lord has prepared for you, it is worth the wait. And you may be going through a dry season. You may be going through a time of wilderness and you say, Lord, I can't make sense of where I am. Get aligned. And as you get aligned with the Lord at the right time, He's going to open that gate for you and you're going to run out. of man, you're going to run strong. And as I close with the next slide, it talks about the the horse is made ready for the day of battle. See, God is wanting to prepare everything for you to do, but in the end, He's going to receive all the glory. You can do all you want, and I can do all I want, but victory will only happen because Jesus does it all. And so you don't rely on your own strength. You don't rely on how big a horse you are, how fast you can run. You just do the very, very best you can. And know that as our keepers, we are nobodies. We can be that dark horse. And in Christ, it's going to be okay. I know I keep saying I'm going to close so many times. I promise you, this is the last (laughs) slide. Can I show you one last slide? And we're going to close and we're going to have lunch, yeah? But I realize even as we talk about horses, I came across this picture. And I realize this is so true for so many Christians. That sometimes the thing that is holding you back is all in your head. And look at this horse. He's tied to a plastic chair. (laughs) And a very obedient horse. Stay. (laughs) He'll stay. Blow trumpet, he won't move. Go giddy up, he won't move. Why? I can't move. I'm tied to a plastic chair. I don't know what your plastic chair is, my friends. If someone has hurt you in the church, if someone has disappointed you, if someone has misrepresented Jesus for you, will you release it? Don't let that plastic chair hold you back. If there's something within your head to say, oh, no, I'm not strong enough, you know, I'm weaker than this plastic chair. No, well, in our keepers, we, we are nothing of ourselves, but we are strong in Jesus Christ. Oh, I can't do this. I can't run very far. Do you know the Holy Spirit will take you where He wants you to be, and He will move you like no one else can. You see, and I'm challenging the people, don't let anything hold you Oh, I'm very, very busy in church. Then get unbusy. Talk to your pastor. Talk to your leaders. He knows which race you should be running in. And you can talk and you can pray. You can process together. But Lord, don't let the plastic chair hold the church back. We are the kingdom of God. And that's why when people ask me about our Keeper's Awakening, I say, okay, I can share with you a little bit of it, but you've got to know the nuances. You've got to go on the perspective because it's not just about Let's wake up and do something. No. It's about the end times. It's about what the Lord is saying. He's moving forward whether you're in it or not. The kingdom of God is advancing whether you like it or not. Whether you are part of it or not. Whether you say amen or not. God is moving. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise you. Praise you, Lord. Lord, I want to thank you that you're speaking so precisely to some people down here. And I want to just say, whatever plastic chair is holding you back, will you, from wherever you are, if you know what it is, will you just release it? Will you just release it to the Lord? It may be a hurt, it may be a disappointment, it, may, it, could, it could even be someone, a relationship where you feel it's it's more important to you, and all. And we're not saying don't look after this person. We're saying love Jesus, and our oh, loving Jesus, you look after this person so much better. If it's a churchy mindset that you have, will you release this to the Lord? If you feel that some religious thing that's holding you back, will you release this to the Lord? If you feel inadequate in any way, will you release this to the Lord? Because you know that in your weakness, His strength will be made perfect. Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for the keepers, they're just standing here. Lord, I say, raise up your battle horses, Lord. Raise up your steeds for your service, O oh God. Some will work in this place, some will move in other places, but Lord, will you ride them into the places that they need to finish their assignment? And will you enable them by the power of the Holy Spirit so that they will be faithful to stand before you? And we thank you, we bless you, in Jesus' name.